What's going on, beautiful people? It is Tuesday, May 3rd, and welcome to the 9 by 9 My name is Everett DeLorme, joined, as always, by Rob St. Clair, and then our now almost pretty much recurring guest member of the show, we're not quite sure yet, Mr. Daniel Manili, fresh back from a vacation out west. Guys, this is the 81 square meters of the best volleyball content on the internet, and it's been a banger of a week. We're in final season. No, we're not going back to university or college. It's the finals of the leagues right now. We've got finals in Italy, things wrapping up in Germany, things kicking off in Poland. Turkey's going popping off already. Uh, we had a good one today in the Lega Volley Femininity between Canigliano and Monza. That series getting tied up at, at one game apiece. The NCAA tournament this weekend. We, we, we got a lot going on. Um, so how, how are we all doing? We're great, dude. It's good to have Dan back. Uh, for those, the, if if you're wondering, just a little programming note: uh, Why haven't you guys talk? Why aren't you guys going to talk about the end of the semifinals in Italy? It's because we already did that. Uh, me and Everett did a show on Saturday morning, just like a quick last minute special nine by nine where we talked about that stuff because the like that that day last Wednesday was so just crazy, 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 full just full of, of nutty stuff. So we did a show to cover all that. Now we're just into the finals and might as well just jump into Italy boys. Oh yeah. Wow. Uh, and I did not expect this at all, but sure enough, uh, Lube Chivadinova without Osmani Wantarena with all their, their various, you know, gang of walking wounded led by the true Shaquille O'Neal of volleyball, Robert Landy Simone, Take a one nothing lead in the series after beating Perugia on the road in five, and even I know this says fifteen thirteen in the fifth, but honestly, it wasn't even that close. Like you see no. that you see that fourth set twenty five seventeen. That was more like it. There there was like it was just like we said on Saturday, Everett. There is no player in the world, no middle that I've ever seen in volleyball history who can take over and choose to dominate a match the way that Robert Landy Simone can, and he just no. refused to lose in those fourth and fifth sets. And that was it. His stat line is utterly insane. It's even better than the last one that we saw. He was the leading scorer in the match among all players. A middle in five sets led the entire match in scoring with 20 points, 14 for 17 attacking, 82% efficiency, three blocks, three aces. Mm -hmm. Get real. How do you stop that guy? I mean, go ahead, Dan. Sir, it's crazy. You're right, Rob, what he did. And, and, and for me, there's only like a couple middles that I've ever seen play where they, they could be your primary option. Like, keep in mind, the middle's only on the court half the time. Simon, probably like Streko Lisenach can do it sometimes. Mizerski occasionally. But yeah, it's an extremely short list. And, and no one does you know, it having, like this. It's, it's insane. It's yeah. insane. Game in. But, hey, guys, also, Did Shaco helps a lot too. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 another thing. Honestly, Dan, you're going to get this reference. But watching Dicheco and Simone play together, it's like watching Andrew Coker and Danny Demianenko when they played at St. Mike's together or with Crush. Like, just going to find him anywhere on, on the court. That's that's exactly it. That's a very niche Canadian volleyball reference um, right there. But to be honest, Rob, you said it on the onset, right? Uh, this one probably shouldn't have gone five. If you look at the stats from uh, on on Lube's, uh, Lube's side of things, right? They won they won their sets at seventeen both times, and honestly, like Wilfredo Leon was almost nowhere to be found. He was terrible. He had like four points through two sets. It was just just nowhere. And he ended up with nine kills on 23, 23 attempts. The only thing that kept it in it was Lube's errors, twenty seven errors on the baseline uh, for for Lube Chivitinova. But they looked good. Marlon Yant looked real good. The two Cubans leading the way for them. And 
I don't know. Like they obviously we're going to see a better side of Leon in this one, but man, he, he just came out flat. And the only thing keeping, um, keeping Perugia alive was Matt Anderson and their blocking. Dan, have you ever seen Wilfredo Leon in single digits and kills in a five set match? This is nuts. No, it's crazy. It's like, yeah, it's like LeBron James, the 2011 Mavs. I have a really good Leon stat for you here, guys. Hit me. Okay. Um, in the playoffs, Wilfredo Leon. And I love the guy. Really nice guy. I have his jersey in my closet. He's hitting 28% efficiency for the playoffs. It's just not good enough. Wow. And I know that he gets, I know that he gets defended differently than any other player in the world. Now we've we've got to put that disclaimer out there. It's very important to remember that because he's the best player in the world, he gets blocked and defended differently than any other player in the world. He also gets targeted in reception more differently than anyone else in the world. But 28% efficiency in the playoffs. That's a large sample size for the best player in the world and that is not good enough straight up nine for 23 in the finals only 12 points in five sets uh, one block two aces eight service errors that is just so unlike the best player in the world and anderson was okay like 12 for 30 is okay six service errors no aces rick liskey i mean 13 for 33 five errors no aces that just nobody there, there's no unless you get one of those man anderson days like when he went 20 for 27 in game five against modena Unless you get that, you need Wilfredo Leon to be Wilfredo Leon. And he so far in the playoffs, it just kind of hasn't been that way. And it's sure it's enough, almost, Luke, the engine of Lube's offense, for God's sakes, has been a middle. It's crazy. It's almost like we have like there's this playoff Harden where James Harden just disappears in the playoffs. It's like the same thing with with Wilfredo Leon this year. Like that's absolutely nuts. Twenty eight percent efficiency. That's crazy. Now, do we see him bounce back? That's that's the biggest question here right now because if if we don't, this is going to be an easy three zero for Lube, and yeah. you know, yeah, go ahead, go, go ahead, Dan. So because this is a nine by nine, and we do our homework, we do our research. I looked at all the attacks uh, for Perugia in this match, um, and actually, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to Lube. Like Perugia was actually attacking the ball pretty decently. Like a lot of those attacks would have gone through against many other teams. But Fabio Belasso just playing absolute lights out defense in position six. I think I counted like literally eight or nine digs on just Camille Reichlicki alone, Fabio Belasso, which is pretty insane. He had a bunch of digs against Leon. Dicheko was getting digs. Even Zaitsev was getting in. Lucarelli, uh, just incredible, incredible floor defense from Lube. And, and having Robert Landy Simon in the front row doesn't hurt too much for that either. That's, no. I mean, if, if there's any question who the best Italian libero is now, I think that question has been really convincingly answered this year, that that is Fabio Belasso. And yeah, that's, it, if, if Lube can dig the ball, they might be the best team in, you know, wacky, goofy, out-of-system transition situations out of any club team in the world because of who their setter is. <laughs> like, Dicheco from literally anywhere in transition, side-out, whatever, is gunning for Robert Landy Simone in 14 for 17. Why wouldn't you? But he's also just able to get different little pieces of bettering the ball sort of looks in transition that just other setters are chucking sky balls and just letting their guys go up and get it against three blockers in transition. And Dicheco is able to do just ever so slightly better than that consistently in transition. I think that makes a lot of difference for a team in Lube's wings 
that aren't that aren't necessarily always the most consistent. Like this one, Zaitsev nine for twenty seven, seven errors, and he was he played the whole match because Lube is so badly handcuffed by the foreigner limit. But they're still able to to do this to beat Perugia without their opposite really playing that all that well offensively. Marlon Yant, though, outstanding. 17 yeah. for 29, really, really good. Lucarelli, 13 for 26. And then, uh, like, Simone Anzani had to go to the bench. Diamantini came in, and, like, he's never going to be a factor for you offensively. So if yeah. you get one or two really good wing days for Lube, plus a Robert Lani-Simone stat line, you're going to have a chance in this series. But watch out if somehow they get all three. If they yeah. get Zaitsev, Yant, and Lucarelli all on a good day, Good luck. Yeah, I think we really need to give a lot of credit to this one, to, to, to Marlon Ant. Like you said, that stat line, he was absolutely unbelievable this one. Now, his stats from the baseline, there's a way too many errors, but he's also has way more atten- attempts than anyone on his team or everyone, anyone in this match. He, put, he did make nine errors, but he had 26 serves. So he's out there for longer than anyone. He's putting pressure on and going on long service runs. And he's he's fielding most of the most of the service even this one with 32 passing attempts and some decent numbers from the baseline. So I really think that like we're seeing Marlon Yant blossom into that that talented that that talent that we've kind of expected him to. You know, we've focused a lot on the other two youngsters this year in Micheletto and and uh, Rachmozic, obviously, but I think we're seeing that third guy Mar- Marlon Yant really come to fruition here in the finals. And hey. Do you want a guy who's going to produce for you in the regular season, or do you want a guy who's going to get it done for you in the in the uh, in the finals? And that's exactly now what Marlon Yant's going to do. Fair now, enough. guys, how, how much? I've got a question for one two seconds. I've got a question. I got a question for you guys Ooh. here. This in in uh, the the playoffs so far, especially in the semifinals, we've seen the away team have the advantage. Um, in the uh, in the match, and we saw it again in in this one with with Lube winning at home at Perugia. Are, do you think that trend is going to continue in this final? I don't really see why it would. Although it's been a just startling lack of home court advantage, at least since the semifinals we talked about it. It just didn't really make any sense. I still don't think it makes all that much sense. It's just crazy coincidence. I don't. I don't really put that much into it, honestly. I think every match is its own thing, and. I mean, tomorrow in Perugia is game two, by the way. So tomorrow, 2.30 p.m. Eastern is game two. And like in Lube, excuse me, I I don't know. I I think Perugia has just as good of a chance there as they do at home because they haven't been all that good at home in the last couple series. I have a couple questions for you guys. Okay. One, One for each team. Question one for Perugia. Do you shake up the starting lineup? Do you put in a Plotnitschke? I mean, I don't, I don't think you can bench Leon. And it doesn't make sense because Matt Anderson's been their best player. But is there any way that you guys see that is feasible for them to shake up the starting lineup, provide a fresh new look for Lube? I do. There, something that they do sometimes is they bring Plotnitsky in to serve for a middle, and then they keep him in that backcourt rotation, and they run the libero in for Leon. So, and I think that you can't do that for an entire set because it requires a substitution, but there might be a way to do something goofy with your libero substitutions. And so that Wilfredo Leon just doesn't even have to play the backcourt because this year, so the one thing that we've seen and Everett and I have talked about it, I think all three of us have talked about it. Perugia doesn't really run Bic this year. And I can't, I can't understand why that is. I can't explain it when you have two, absolutely world-class pipe attackers in Anderson and Leon, but they just don't really do that as part of their offense. And if you're not going to do that, 
other than Leon serving where he's probably the best on the planet, he's he, he's a, a non-factor or maybe even a liability in the backcourt if you're not going to set him there. So that is an opportunity for a guy like Plutnitsky to come in. I don't know exactly the the moving parts that it's going to take to do that for an entire set. We see them do it for for like just one back row trip all the time, and I, I would I think they'd be crazy not to do that more unless they really plan on using Leon out of the pipe. But that's something that's been missing for Perugia for a long time now, and I don't really understand why. I think that's interesting because I, I would kind of like to see Perugia do that and to bring Plotnitsky in, maybe let Leon kind of have a breather, take a back row, you know, take a few serves off, take a back row rotation off. Because to be honest, that's kind of what we're seeing on the Lube side of things with the Yuri Kovar for Marlon Yant situation. I mean, Ronnie talks about it in the Discord all the time about Yant goes real hard in the first two sets and starts petering off after that. But we're seeing Kovar come in for him pretty early and that he's he's going to take some swings away from him so i mean i rate plotnitsky way higher than i rate yuri kovar right so i'd love to come higher in. yeah I, I, uh, I, higher. I, I, you got it, it? <laughs> <laughs> um exactly right so i i rate plotnitsky way higher and let let him get in there let him get get a chance like that the change of look and the change of defensive style you have to play against plotnitsky to leon is so drastic you know the small lefty to the big tall like right-hander guy on the on the left side so why not bring him in get, give a different look and uh kind of, kind of throw something at him because perugia needs to come out stronger and leo needs to come out stronger and they're going to need him for the entirety of the series so might as well do a bit of load management like Kawhi leonard style and uh, let plot nice have a few swings okay my next question for lube if osmani wantarena comes to you the day before our next match says coach I'm ready to play. I want to start next game. What's what's your what's your call? Given the way that Yant and Lucarelli have been playing. I don't think you do that, but it's huge to have that as an option because the instant Ivan Zaitsev does not start playing well, you put in you put in Juan Terena and you put in Gabby Garcia. Because now now that like that that changes everything. If you have a capable Italian outside hitter you can put in that's not Jiri Kovar, then you can bench Zaitsev because of the foreigner limits. It's a big deal. And we've seen it a lot for Lube when Zaitsev has started the la- like really the whole semifinals. He didn't play all that well except that one match in game three against Trentino. He's been pretty rough and they've brought in Garcia and he's been good. But to do that because of the foreigner limit, they have to then bench one of their two outsides and bring in Jiri Kovar because he's Italian. If you have Juan Terena able to play, he's a, if he says he's able to play, he's an upgrade over Jiri Kovar no matter what. So that gives you a big degree of freedom at the opposite that you didn't have before. However, Unless you you can really unless you really see something from him in practice that you think you can give him twenty five balls and have him give you ten points offensively, if you don't think he can do that, don't start him. I mean, he did he did show up in this one, right? He did get subbed in the second set. He had a swing. He got no. subbed in at opposite. He got subbed in for Zaitsev because he was terrible, and there was nothing nothing else that Lube could do because of the Italian thing. But but that's exactly so. Like we're still seeing him out there. So like he's more of an availability than he was before. Like when he wasn't even in the hitting lines, right? Like we saw against Trentino. So maybe there is that possibility. Maybe there's that growing possibility that if Yant or Lucarelli, maybe they're struggling a little bit. Zaitsev isn't having a great match. You want to bring in Garcia, then you have that that option for for Wantahena, right? But right now, to be honest, like they they don't really need him so it's uh, other other than the, than the than the italian thing so yeah i mean uh, i think you kind of go with what what's gotten you there it's it's going to be hard pill for swallow to swallow for either lucarelli or lant yant who have gotten to this point have played so well helped turn things around against trentino to then be 
then be subbed out for a one who hasn't played all season. Yeah, I, I, I think that, and I think Juan Terena knows that. And I don't think he would put his team or his coach into that position. No. I, I do think that he's now kind of embraced the the role that he's been in the last couple of weeks. I, I think he would be crazy of him to expect to jump back in as a starter. And Dan, I wanted to ask you, like, how much do you think? Oh, oh sorry, not not Juan Terena. How much do you think Marlon Yance improved play might be from the mentorship of Osmani Juan Terena? Like they're the, you know, the Cuban thing. They, they have similar upbringings, a, a huge opportunity for a young Cuban kid in, in a, like for Lube in the finals, you know, the whole thing. I, I, it would be crazy to not to think that Juan Torreno had an impact on Yant this year and last year. How much, what do you think that dynamic is probably like in this final with Juan Torreno not seeing much court time? Oh, absolutely massive. Like, I, I don't think you can overstate how much it matters. Um, even, even not from a volleyball perspective to have someone that speaks your language from your home country, that's able to show you through the cultural idiosyncrasies of playing in a new country and just get, being able to, you know, take a lot of that, that, that load off. And I mean, w- w- what a better mentor for Yant than Juan Serena, who, you know, came, came out as more of a power player than a finesse player. And now is, now we're like sitting here is like, oh yeah, like he's basically a second libero. He could come in as a second libero at this stage of his career. So uh, I think that's great for Yance. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they were working behind the scenes to, to make sure that happened. Um, yeah, uh, it's a good I mean, question, the, Rob. I think it's, it's very important. It's, it's a double whammy for uh, Yant as well, too, because you also have Robert Landy Simone there, who's also his teammate with Cuba, right? And it's like I've seen the impact that Simone has had with the leadership of, of that young squad with guys like Yant and Malgarejo and, of, and of course, Lopez. Lopez. Um, and I'm sure that has transitioned just seamlessly onto uh, a Lube squad. And you talk about the language. I mean, hell, half this team can speak Spanish. You've got DeCheco. You've got... Uh, Simone, so I mean, there's no better place right now for for Yant to blossom. I I, I think that's maybe why we're seeing him. Play uh, so Garcia, well. yeah, Gabby yeah. Garcia, Gabby Garcia, yeah, ab- absolutely. So and wow, I mean, let's be kidding. honest, Spanish Spanish versus Italian, they're they're pretty close. So that I think that transition is 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 pretty uh, is going to be pretty seamless. All right, guys, do, do we want to jump over to the uh, to the women now? Is there anything else we have to uh, talk about for the men's side? I, no. I just have one last comment. Uh, how easy must it be for Simone after going against Pajashin um, and Elisa Nech? <laughs> Soleil and like Richie Mangosi. He's probably like, God, he's feasting. Sebastian Soleil was terrible. Yeah. Terrible, uh, terrible, uh, terrible in this match. Three for 11. Good. Three for 11, three errors. Like 0% efficiency for a middle is hot garbage. So Simone just feasted on it. It was kind of funny. Yeah, Richie, Richie was good. Eight for nine. Eight for nine. Yep. That, which, is, which is why Anzani got benched. Like, that, that was the matchup there. They did the, the smart thing and putting Simone on Soleil, and that Lube just ate that matchup alive. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's jump over to the uh, women's series where we've already had two games. Um, right. Game one game, first. Game, oh. game one first. Uh, that went down on Saturday. And that was a classic with going down to the wire. I mean, we've seen both matches going down to the wire so far, but Monza was able to take this one, storming back from a 2-1 deficit to take the game one in this one. I mean, Rob, what was your, what were your initial thoughts on this one? So the sets that Corneliano won, sets two and three, this was at home, by the way, uh, which was surprising. Another instance of the home team losing in Italy. The sets that Corneliano won, they, they dominated. 
like 25 15 25 19 uh they, they let that first one slip away the real thing was that i think Cuneliana led i think 10 6 like they yeah they, they led 10 6 in the fifth and then choked it there at the end that was a very tough break and a set and a match that they should not have lost uh paula Egonu double digit balls hit straight out of bounds uh, 10 hitting errors plus block twice although she went 25 for 52 those 10 errors is pretty brutal and that kind of continued into the match today where Monza got her and kind of a Egonu poor hand contact spraying the ball out of bounds just a little bit sort of day yeah. but the real thing for Corneliano is they didn't get anything out of anybody else like Catherine Plummer started and was bad two for six got benched uh, Megan Courtney is never going to be an offensive workhorse seven for 21 Miriam Silla not good at all nine for 23 passed the ball like okay at best uh, and Middles, uh, Rafael Foley, outstanding. Robin DeCroif, okay, in five sets. And that's really the thing for Caneliano here. And it's the same story, the exact same story. We've talked about them ever since Egonu has been there. If you get Egonu on a good day, you've got a great chance to win. If you get Egonu on a good day and one other offensive player, preferably a wing, preferably an outside hitter, who's also on a good day, you are absolutely unbeatable. And it is rare, it's been rare this year that Corneliano's had that because Courtney is a second libero, Sila's had a pretty bad year, and Plummer's been really, really streaky. So that's that's kind of the 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 gamble that Corneliano is going out on the court with in, in a given match, in a given set. And, I mean, it's it's the streakiness that you can see based on the score lines. 25 yeah. 15, 25 19 wins. And that's then like you lose one 25 right, 16, and then you lose a fifth where you're up 10 to six. It's like it's the it's kind of the Caneliano experience. It's and it's not all on Pella Egonu. She needs help from one other player consistently. And when she doesn't get that, some and she makes a couple errors, Caneliano can lose. And I think that's exactly what happened in game one. Yeah, that secondary scoring for uh, for Canigliano is absolutely massive, and I mean we can kind of just talk about both both games in 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 a nutshell because it's 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 one one at this point. I mean, game one you saw no secondary scoring from right. from this one through Today, two sets. Sweep. Through, yeah. through two sets, you saw no secondary scoring. I mean, Miriam Silla was one for eight in the first two sets. Catherine Plummer had four kills or four points in the first two sets, and they all came in the first set, right? And then all of a sudden in the third, they just absolutely blew up. Kathleen Plummer had had seven. Scylla had five. They each had they each had five in the fourth. Man, even Volage was getting into it with a few dumps, and in both the the, the third and the fourth to, to really turn things around. And when we see, like Rob, you said it perfectly. When we see Canigliano with that secondary scoring, they're they're fantastic. What worried me on the other side of the net for Monza is that once we saw Plummer start to score and once we saw Plummer and Sila, you know, start to gain that confidence, Monza didn't really have an answer for it. I mean, if we look at Dana Retke, I don't know what's happened to her. Like from this, like the fall from grace from where she was when she first came into uh, the situation at Monza That's to where, a little where she dramatic. is now. That's a little I mean, dramatic. hey, no, Relax but like what she, she had, bit. she had two, two points in the first game. Uh, how many? How many did she have today? Right, four, four, four for nine. She was she was a lot better. But I mean, this is a player who was putting for, like fifteen points in her first few matches, and then since then has never been able to to produce and, and kind of looks lost out there. This is a terrible matchup for Dana Redke. She is big. She is not quite the fastest. She is good offensively and is not nearly a good enough blocker at this level yet. This is a terrible matchup for her. 
Uh, this does, doesn't surprise me. The blocking area of the game was the thing that we knew she was going to struggle with at the beginning. And sure enough, she's playing against the best setter in the world and the best player in the world on the right side and two great middles that like to run really, really, really fast. That's a bad matchup for her. Also, keep in mind that, you know, she started out well, but now they've had so much more time to scout, to look at her tendencies. Great point. And, and that's mm. by far the part of the game that's impacted the most, especially middle on middle. Uh, just learning learning the runs they like to do, learning where they like to hit the ball. And Caneliano is not a team that wins this much by accident. They, they put the work in behind the scenes. So, uh, but I, I just had one, one more point, guys, because you guys are saying, talking about the secondary scoring from Caneliano. But to me... Like, this has always been the thing with Caneliano. Like, this is how they've had so much success the last few years. You have the best offensive engine in volleyball in Paolo Ganu, and then you just surround her with secondary complementary pieces. Like, I don't think Kim Hill was 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 a world beater either when she was this Caneliano. Like, nope. Miriam Silo hasn't been fantastic, you know, like, as an offensive engine either the last couple of years. So I'm just wondering what you guys think the difference is this year. Maybe Everett. You go first. I do think that Kim Hill had a consistency about her, whereas both Scylla and Plummer have the tendency to just fall off the map completely, right? And and to just like like they don't have that ability to pop up. Like they they need a lot of volume to to, to get there, right? And a lot of that volume is going to go to a Gonu, so they need to be ready when it when it does come to them. And often that that's not the case, right? So like we can't see them disappear like we do like in like in, in game one. What was it like across five sets like? Plummer had what nine, eleven points. Like she needs to have more than that. She needs to have more of an impact on the game than that. So it doesn't need to be, it it, it doesn't need to be you know big numbers. She doesn't need to be scoring seven points at every set like she did in the third today. But it needs to be more consistent. Like she she can't have a, a set where she has no points. Like she's she's the P, technically the P one on that team, and she's going to be getting getting volume. So just a little bit more consistency. Like you don't need to be dropping the same numbers of a, as a Gonu, obviously, but just a, a little bit more to help solidify things and vary the offense a little bit. Consistency is the right answer to Dan's question, like what Kim Hill brought that these two other players kind of don't. But uh, speaking of the topic of consistency, applying that to Monza, this is the least consistent lineup team I've ever seen play in the finals of anything in my life. <laughs> they they cannot make up their mind on what opposite they're going to play. They cannot make up on their mind on what who their second outside hitter is going to be. The, even Dana Retke got benched in, in set number three here. Like, what is honestly? Why 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 can't they pick something and stick with it? And it, it's the opposite thing has worked a little bit. Like Lise Von Hecke today, 16 for 55. She is not the player to give 55 attempts to. But no. Stisiak comes in, like comes in the second, starts the third, goes five for 19 and is terribly inefficient. And you have to take her out again at that point. But the leashes for these opposites are so short and they're so stylistically different that the abruptness of those play style changes when you're just throwing in and out those players randomly, like Monza just done the entire season, is very bad for a team's rhythm and i don't even like watching it it confuses me to watch really yeah it it confuses me to watch i I, it's 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 odd it doesn't make sense it's not a it's not a winning formula to just to to take out a player when she makes two errors in a row and then put her back in when her replacement makes two errors in a row here's why i think you would like it to me watching them play i was thinking about it today it reminds me a lot of watching the ncaa You've got a lot of talented players, and they're kind of in- interchanging them and using a lot. That's why. That's why I, I thought. You know, that's I why don't I like kind of... NCAA women's volleyball. I think oh, there's I way. It. I think there's way too many substitutions, and nobody special. Nobody can do everything, and I hate that. 
Oh, you like that, Everett. We've talked about that, that before. I can't absolutely. I, I I just think like like to to be honest, you know, I if it works out, I love the idea of having two different right sides that give two different looks. But right now, neither of them is is, is working right, and <laughs> that's, and that's like, like both both of them are swinging under thirty percent hitting efficiency, hitting percentage. That's not even efficiency, right? So it, so it's really bad. Um, but it, it it just seems to be that like Monza. This is this is like the first time for them in the final, and it seems like they almost clam up. Like today, we were talking about it, like the atmosphere after those first two sets, like the atmosphere in the arena was absolutely dead. It was a sellout crowd, but man, you couldn't, you, you would have thought it was a tennis match with the, like all the polite clapping going on. Yeah, um, that was weird. Was, I mean, it, it was weird. Your, your eh? Teams up two sets to none over the reigning champions. You you might go up two zero in the finals, and that was the the lamest atmosphere I've seen in Italy all year. It was hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, and and on top of that, like they didn't they didn't change anything. They they didn't put up any any defense. Like we we talked about it while this game was a reverse sweep and went to and went to five and you know you'd think that's all has all the hallmarks hallmarks for a classic it was kind of a boring match altogether like once once canigliano figured out their game and started pushing back monza kind of just let them have it there was a few times like like at no point rarely did they even like take the lead back and if they did it was only for a point or two like to be honest i don't remember if they did and they just didn't really fight back it was like they were beating you know they were beating up the bully on the playground finally the bully got up hit them once and then they were down down done and dusted right so i really want to see some fight fight from monza but i feel like we have seen that from them at times like especially if we go back to the champions league semifinal or champions league matchup against canigliano where they kind of just laid down and yeah, died they, they so laid down and died absolutely so I, and I, really yeah. the only reason they won that fifth set in game 1 like this this one here on the road is cuz canigliano choked it away they were up 10 to 6 and they gave it to him. So yeah. I, I don't really I, – I don't see it for Monza the same way ever that you're talking about, that they seem to shrink away from the big moments. I, I said the same thing about Novara uh, in the semis and throughout the season. Those, those teams just aren't ready to do what Corneliano does in their sleep. They are so much better prepared for – a situation like this down two sets to none on the road in the finals down one game. They're like, who cares? We know that we're better than this team. Their self-confidence and their team and individual mental maturity and their their coaching staff, just everything about that program, top to bottom, and the way that it filters through everybody's behavior is so much different than any other team in the world, except maybe one who we'll talk about in a minute. It, that I don't, I still don't think that anybody in Italy can beat this team. I don't think Monza can beat this team. That this this opposite thing that they're doing is not sustainable. Uh, I think they got lucky in the first. I think that Corneliano has a switch that they can flip, and I think that the likelihood that they get two wings on a good day with one of them being Agonu is likely for the rest of this series. And I, I predict them to win the next two matches. Yeah, I can see it too. I think you're selling Monza a little short, though, Rob. Like they they do have Jordan Larson. They, they yeah. you know they, they do have uh, Alessia Gennari. They do have um, Anna Donessi. So they they have some like experienced players that that are able to be those rocks, you know, in this time. But you're right. I mean, Canadiana, the, the the amount of important games they played over the last few years is. It's tough to bet against. It sure is. And I mean, yeah, Jordan Larson is that player. She she totally is. She is the player to build your team's mental around. She's only but she's only been there for a couple months. She doesn't speak Italian. And this uh, the rest of this team, with the exception of Danesi, 
and Gennari, who didn't even start this match and hasn't been starting lately, haven't been there before the way that she that Jordan Larson has and the way that literally the entire Corneliano roster has. Not to mention, like, she's already scheduled to be assistant coach at University of Texas next year, right? Like, so she's not yeah, sticking she, around. She, like, she started that job and left it to come yeah. to Monza. In the so she's so she's just coming in, in and out, right? So uh, I I do think they have that ability, but I just don't I don't see them being together uh, enough for this. And uh, as, like, it's gonna take it's gonna take a really bad another bad performance from Canigliano and a really good performance uh, from Monza. And I just don't see those things uh, come together. Agreed. So a uh, little segue there. Well, actually, before we segue to the other women's volleyball series, I want to talk about Everett first. Please tell the people about BetUS. How can you Absolutely. bet on the Italian finals if you wanted to do that? If you want to bet on the Italian finals, might as well go, come join us on BetUS. If you use the code VOLLEY125, you're going to get a 125% deposit bonus on a deposit of $100 or more. So that means if you deposit $100, you're going to get $225. It's literally free money. And then you can go place a bet on either Canigliano or Monza or even better, Lube uh, versus Trentino tomorrow. Or not Trentino, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Lube versus Perugia. Oh, that, that, would, that would have been bad. That was, that was the last series. And hey, we've got the uh, NHL playoffs that are kicking off. The NBA playoffs are mid-swing. Major League Baseball is back, and they have a million games a day. And plus, we've got soccer going on. It's the best time to get into betting right now. So go do that over with our friends over at BetUS. They've been doing it since 1994, and that's what makes them the best. Go check it out. Yep, go check it out. And maybe, if if you dig far enough, you can learn how you can bet on this series. Uh, The Turkish women's finals between Fenerbahce and Vakif Bank is honestly a very similar one to the Italian finals where... Every you get a lot of credit for this because I asked you well, last time we talked about this series, does Fenerbahce have a chance against Vakif Bank in a five-game series? And you said maybe if they jump out early and grab one, and they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, at home, they, they played the first game at home, which is, which is confusing because they're the lower seed. But uh, they came out at home in game one, and they pretty convincingly beat Vakif Bank in, in four. Uh, those sets that they won, 22, 17, and 19, that's pretty convincing. However, uh, earlier today, Vakif Bank at home responded with a 3-1 of their own, so that, that uh, five-match series is tied at one apiece. Um, I haven't had that much time to break into the stats of this one, gentlemen, but I, I will just start off the discussion with the exact same question. It's 1-1 now. Does Fenerbahce have a chance to win this series? Uh, Dan, you go first. I mean, it, it, I don't think so, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Like, I think I think just this way they play this season. I think I think Vakif Bank is still is still the number one team. I, I don't think that Fenerbahce has the weapons to get them. And if we're giving them like if we're saying Mons is for sure out of it, I, I think I think it's even more of a bet that Vakif Bank is going to take it. Um, I don't know. I, I I just don't think anyone has can match Isabel Hawk the way she's playing right now. Um, she's playing phenomenally well right now. <laughs> I mean, uh, twenty-five for forty-eight today, fifty-two percent kills, and only three errors. Like that is just phenomenal. The reality is that you're going to need a thirty-point performance from Melissa Vargas, like you had in Game One, for Fenerbahce to have a chance, right? And you're going to need Irina Fedorovtseva to score fifteen plus points, like she did in Game One. She had eighteen, right, for Fenerbahce to have a chance. Like they need their best players. Like they don't have the overall quality that that Bakov Bank does. So they need their best players to compete at maybe even above their level so uh, do, do we see them do we see them taking it uh, I, I don't think so now is the next game at Vakov Bank again like are do are they doing 
Fenerbahce, Vakufank, Vakufank, Fenerbahce, Vakufank? Like, is, is that how this works? I don't know. I'm going to try and check on that really quickly because I'm curious. Like, in Italy, they just alternate. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's see. I, I mean, I think at this point in the season, Vakufank is, while they're focused on the domestic title, of course, um, I think their focus is really that Champions League final against Canigliano. Um, and now, hey. It's the, if, it's the revenge tour this season for Vakufank, guys. Oh, it's it the is. revenge tour. It is. Absolutely. I was with them when they lost. They, they, I've never seen anyone so devastated. By the way, f- fun stat for here. Isabel Hawk scoring more points than both Monza opposites combined. <laughs> <laughs> on, That's on, awesome. 20 like one less attempts <laughs> oh my Damn. god i mean yeah, hey. her efficiency not only her scoring volume but her efficiency has just been off the charts this really this whole season she's been so good every time i've watched pocket bank she's just been awesome i've really been impressed it's gonna be interesting to see how she does next year in the in the lake of Ali familiarly i had no reason why she no reason why she can't do the same do the same thing like what the opposite position translates across leagues probably better than any like better than any other position in volleyball yeah. She's played there before, so yeah, that's a good point. True. So the the thing for me that I wanted to point out, and I think I've brought this up in talking about this matchup before. I can't remember if it was when they played in Champions League or a, or a Turkish Cup final or whatever. But for for Fenerbahce to have a chance in this in this matchup against Vakufank, they need to win the serve and pass battle. And uh, game two passing numbers not good at all for Fenerbahce. Let's see, twenty four percent perfect, thirty four percent positive. Only thirty four percent positive is not good at all. Meanwhile, Vakipank, 41% perfect, 51% positive. Huge difference there. And then serving uh, five aces to 14 errors for Vakipank, six aces to 15 errors for Fenerbahce. That's not bad, but those passing numbers being skewed that extremely really, really makes a big difference because you don't quite have the top-to-bottom offensive firepower on Fenerbahce that Vakipank does. So they've got to put a ton of service pressure on and or pass the ball extremely well. And in the first game, they did that. The passing numbers were dead tied. And uh, ace-to-error ratio, Fenerbahce 8-8, to outstanding. And Vakipank 5-11, to fine, but not quite as good. And that is a big difference because that, it totally changes how those two offenses run. So that individual part of the matchup is the key. And if Fenerbahce can't win it, they can't win the series. Yeah, I mean, I... I, as Dan said, I, I don't really see it happening. I've kind of said that for for a while now. A team of Vakufank's ca- caliber, their 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 eyes on the prize, and they're after losing game one. I, I to be honest, I don't see them losing losing one another one. I'm pretty sure that's what I called last last episode too. So yeah, yeah you said three one. Stick I, with that. I, I think I, I may have said three zero. Uh, I, I definitely said Caneliano three zero. I was wrong about that, but yeah, I would pick both Caneliano and Vakufank to win the next two and give themselves a nice. Nice two week, week and a half or so break before uh, playing one another in Champions League finals. So, sorry, so I ran, ran a, one, one more before we go. Yeah. With Vacuum Bank being so good the last few years, like Jansu Osbay. Osbay? Osbay? Osbay. Like, is it, would you ever consider her like a, a top setter in the world or is it just the result of the attackers around her? She 100%. could easily be top five. I, I think that she needs a couple a couple national team seasons as the full time starter with Nas retiring yeah, yeah. to to put herself on the map in that way for me personally. Uh, but her club accomplishments definitely speak for themselves. Although this is her first year as the starter in Vakif Bank, that that team has not missed a beat offensively this year. Well said. Yeah, I'm just going to agree with that. 
100 the skill the skills there she just needs to uh, get some of that resume under her Ooh, I had, having Nas as the uh, mentor helps I yeah think, i had a take so good that even everett had nothing to add wow this is a, a momentous day for me <laughs> all right uh <laughs> the next thing that uh, i also had a take that was pretty good was that once the berlin recycling volleys went down two matches to none against Friedrichshafen in the Bundesliga finals. I still picked them to come back and win. And sure enough, congratulations to Berlin. They win the Bundesliga in a five-match thriller of a series. They won match five, uh, 3-1 at home. Uh, match point, which you've probably all seen on Instagram, was absolutely insane. Santiago Donani with maybe the best bump set I've ever seen in my life from about 70 feet away, like right on the neck, like perfectly for Tim Carl off the block and out of bounds. And uh, so that was insane. The, the celebration videos from Berlin were insane. The, 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 the production from Spontana Bounce House the entire year has just been wonderful. But sure enough, not only does Berlin win like we all expected them to, uh, they made it a lot more interesting going down two matches to none. But they complete the reverse sweep. Uh, boys, do we, have any, do we have any thoughts on this? Is, is, was this just always going to happen? Were they always going to come back from down 0-2? Or uh, is, is this a little more significant than that, I guess? I mean, I, I did call it as well. I did say that if Friedrichshafen won game four at home, that they obviously would win the series. But if not, then Berlin was going to go home and, and, and take it. So, Rob, we, we, were, we were both right on this one. Um, but, I mean, hey, this one was – there was something different uh, about this this Berlin team. And it's weird. It, it kind of – it seemed to me it was kind of spurned on by losing Jeff Jendrick and bringing in George Klein. I mean, he was named series MVP – and uh what it's an awesome it's, story what yeah a, what, what a great what a great story i mean basically he's been a legend for berlin for uh, a while now and was forced to retire during the pandemic in the pandemic year when there was no crowd he always said he wanted to retire in front of the berlin crowd so he's currently a berlin pr- police officer and when anton brem went down earlier in the season they called him in just to be a practice player just kind of kind of sit on the bench and of course when jendrick was injured he got subbed in and i mean hey or Frederick Schaffen dominated in the middle in games one and two, right? Van Brooklyn had like something like seven blocks in, in the first match. And the him and Bomer were looking absolutely dynamic. And then George Klein, like he scored some really, really good, good points for them. And the other one for me on the Berlin recycling side of things, you know, you expected them with them winning. Uh, it would be, you know, the American Ben Patch, who was kind of running the show for them throughout, throughout this one. But instead it was Marek Sotola who came in and, uh, in the third set to really push them on with uh, 11 kills. So young Czech lefty, man, like how I feel bad for the Czech Republic because literally the only players in their entire country that play volleyball that I can name all play opposite. There are Uh, like five of them. It's crazy. No, it's Davis Skiba too. Davis Skiba is Belarusian, dude. He's He's not Czech. Okay. Wait, Zavaronik is, is an outside hitter. Zavaronik, oh, Z- Z- that's yeah, that's 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 who I was that's who I was thinking about. Yeah, but, he's, uh, he's the only one. Well, I mean, like Fingar, Hadrava, obviously um, your favorite. Botola, Lucas Vecina. Vecina, I know he can play both, but I first saw him playing opposite. Like they just have too many guys on the right side. You only have one space Wait, on the floor. Anyway. Are you telling me you don't know Czech legends like Merrick Beer? And uh, <laughs> this is why we have you on the show, Dan, because only you, literally only you, know who these people are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, oh, oh, overall, like this is the result that we expected. But I really, really wanted to see Friedrichshafen take it. Yeah. It's been so many years of Berlin domination. I think Friedrichshafen hasn't won it since 2015, and it's just been all Berlin since then. And uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of wanted to see them take it, but congrats to Berlin all the same. And, and imagine what they can do now once they replace Samuel Tuya. 
<laughs> At least he didn't start. Oh, he did start this one. I cannot believe that. I just can't believe that he keeps starting. He went five for 20. Five for 20. Come on, man. Yeah, Dan, you made the point. I, I, I think it was on one of the 5-1 shows that you and Everett did together recently. Why can this team not afford better outside hitters with everybody else that they can afford? Why are there starting outside hitters, Samuel Etuya and Tim Carl? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I, but nice. who am I to criticize that when they went down 0-2 in the finals and came back and won a championship? So huge credit to them. And I, I was actually rooting for Berlin to do this. I want somebody else to shake things up in the Bundesliga, but I want it to be a team that deserves it. And although this Friedrichshafen team was the best coached team in the league, we've given Mark Levy a lot of credit. They were nowhere close, not even close to a championship level talented team. And I would like to see another German team get to that level. I cannot believe they came within one game of winning the final. Ridiculous. Like, I, it, it's just ridiculous. They never, that's never. Should I saw happen. that roster at the beginning of the year. and like, oh man, like Voy and Kacic is going to be like an important piece. Like that's not good. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. I, they, they they should. I can't believe they got to where they did. And again, Lebedew gets all the credit for that. But but like that team, it, it's a nice story for them to get to the finals. I don't think it would have been all that good of a story for them to win. I don't think that would have been all that good of a look for the league, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like Dan, we did we did our uh, our podcast a few weeks ago, and I called Friedrichshafen one of my most disappointing teams of the season. Then they turn around and win the first two <laughs> games, first two games of the series, right? So, you know, that's kind of how how I I, I saw it with them, but. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting the moves they make kind of moving forward. Are they going to keep Lebedu? Are they going to make any upgrades, grades to their team? Uh, it, 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 it should be interesting. Well, uh, Lebedu's work is far from done. He's got a busy summer as the new head coach of Slovenia and a tournament that Slovenia will be participating in. Check out that segue. Is nice the volleyball segue. Na- I like that. Volleyball Nations go. League. It, we finally, finally, it starts in like a month, and we now finally know all of the pieces and all of the details about the tournament. Uh, we already talked about the women's tournament. Uh, we know who the hosts are. We know Ankara's got the finals. We know Bulgaria's in the field. We now know on the men's side, uh, Bologna, Italy will host the finals uh, that like third-ish week of July, third or fourth weekend of July. And we know now that the last team in the field – Although it was initially reported to be Tunisia, it's not Tunisia, it's China. China back in the field for men's VNL. This is a weird one, gentlemen. And I, you, two, you two who have more experience with international ball like behind the scenes than me, I want your takes on this. Uh, Dan, your thoughts on China's rejoining of the VNL field? Yeah, if you're listening to this on audio, uh, Everett's making the cash money. Money. Symbol. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, they, they, they throw a lot of weight around in, in the world of volleyball because they can host big events at the drop of the hat whenever they want. Uh, so that's always a, a, a big uh, factor. Um, as for the players on the court, I've always thought China actually had a lot of potential. Uh, uh, I don't know. They, and they produce good players occasionally. Like, I I'm, will go to my deathbed saying that Zhang Xuan – is actually a legitimately very good opposite that could start in Italy. <laughs> but what a take! Oh you know goodness. what, Dan? If it was anyone else making that take, I wouldn't believe them. But then you've been on Rock Mozic and a few other guys for a while. That's wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I trust hey. Dan's evaluation of talent that isn't named Luca Spirito. So I'm with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, it, it's fine. I mean, probably uh, they might be better than Tunisia. I'm not. I'm not sure. 
Uh, I, I think it's a drop in replacement in terms of level of play. Like that, they're they're not going to win anything notable. And someone in the Discord made a very interesting point that this, the fact that Tunisia is not playing VNL, is better for their chances to make the Olympics because they're not going to win any games in VNL, and that's just going to hurt their world ranking. <laughs> Them sitting and doing nothing is going to keep their world ranking atop Africa, and they're going to go to the Olympics by default. I, I never thought about it that way, and honestly, they might have a point there. Yeah, but, that's, that's true, so, actually. Is China a core team still, though, or, or, or how are we doing these core versus I was trying to figure now? that out, oh, and yeah. I couldn't. I don't know the answer to that, because this whole core of challenger team thing is so stupid. I understand because they need teams that they know will be financially capable of playing VNL every single year, but those teams aren't necessarily the good teams or the teams that deserve to be there. I would way rather see Turkey, the Turkish men, yeah. or even Cuba, who I know probably can't afford it. But in terms of play level, it would be way higher than China or Tunisia. Yeah, I mean, I yep. think, the, I think the, the number one team who got robbed here is Turkey. I mean, let's yeah. be honest, Cuba deserves a spot the most. Ronnie, you're, you're welcome for the shout-out there. Um, <laughs> and let's, let's be honest, they, they should be there, but they obviously can't afford it. Um, so... The next up is, is Turkey, and we've talked about them. They have the ability to host. They, they, we know that they're a solid vol- volleyball nation, especially on the women's side. And not to mention, they won the last um, gold league for, for uh, the CEV, right? So that's the, their men's side is catching up. There's like, a is. lot of good young Turkish players. It is. I, I, I throw it all the way back to last year's European Championships. I actually picked Turkey to beat Serbia, and I was two points away from being right. They lost 15 13 in the fifth. Like they've got good talent, they've got really young talent. Uh, Dan's boy, F.A. Bayram, is going to be really good. F.A. Mandaraja is already really good. Like Adis Lagumja, obviously, you've seen him in Italy. Like, I and want to see that national like team. Like Junior, he's he's coming on the scene. Anyway, yeah, yeah, Mini Lagumja, he's he's in there too. Yeah, I, I I want to see Turkey more. And yeah. but it's not going to be on the VNL stage, unfortunately. It will be China. I think they're kind of just a placeholder. I don't expect them to make any noise. But at least we know. At least we now know all the all the sites, all the teams, all the schedules. Uh, the, the the volleyball world has put the website together, and it seems to all be up to date and accurate. So within a month of the tournament, all that stuff is coming together. So if you think there's a significant break after club season is over, think again, because this is volleyball. We don't give time off ever. We're jumping no, straight. No, no break here. Boys, boys, think about this. In a month's time, literally like in one month, plus or minus two days, we will be having beers talking about volleyball. In Ottawa. Oh, in my Ottawa. God. Am I excited for that? Yeah. I, I think I think we should put together a few maybe uh, late night shows. Um and just, I uh, agree. I, I I know of nature of which you you want to yeah. do these shows, and I couldn't agree more. We'll, we'll you know what you know what I think, you know what I think we're gonna we should be doing. And I was I was actually thinking about to say you guys let me know we think we're doing this this live here, but we're gonna create a Patreon for that, <laughs> and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pay to get into the uh, the 18 plus let's say uh, uh, um, late night shows. That's an idea. That's an idea. You could do like a, a, a YouTube membership thing. Like, yeah. Hey, and yeah. What, what do they get? Of it? What, what are they, 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 get us, they get access. They get access to us. Completely unsafe. If, if, yeah. if you think that my level of censorship on this show is not extremely high, then you haven't joined the Discord. So uh, you, you might want to watch that, that sort of a style of show. That would be really fun. But yeah, yeah uh, VNL, VNL Ottawa, for those of you who don't already have it on your calendars, second week of June, get yourself to Canada if at all possible. And if you're already here, just come to Ottawa. Just get there. Yeah. All right. Uh, last what but not least, on the show this week, uh, NCAA oh, yeah. men's. So we talked about this last week because of the conclusions of the conference tournaments. We knew the field. We have one match that actually already happened. We've got two matches tonight. Uh, first serve of one of them was actually 20 minutes ago. So 
UCLA is playing Pepperdine at UCLA, who's hosting the entire NCAA men's tournament right now. Uh, it is on Pac12.com, I think. The best place, by the way, to find links, all info for NCAA men's is off the block, off the block blog.com. Vinny loves Vinny by Lope. far the best place to oh, find man. anything. If, if you go on NCAA.com for men's volleyball, the, the, the third article from the top is Hawaii wins the 2021 NCAA championship. So that tells you how much of a joke that website is. Go to offtheblockblog.com, and they will have everything you need for every match of the NCAA men's tournament, links to watch included. So that match is live right now, and then Hawaii playing North Greenville later tonight. Speaking of North Greenville, this is a big deal massive the, the play-in match in the ncaa tournament because there are seven teams for some godforsaken reason r- related to number of teams in the entire division divided by number of conferences there are equals seven which is the worst number of all time for a tournament but anyway north greenville not only wins a set which would have only been the second ever in a, for a conference carolina's team in the ncaa tournament they win the match and they sweep princeton set three was 40 to 38 40 to 38. I don't know if that's a record for the NCAA tournament, but I feel like it has to be. Like, that is just ridiculous. And sure enough, North Greenville puts Conference Carolinas on the map. They now have the privilege of getting destroyed by Hawaii tonight, but at least they won. That is a big deal for a little Division II conference like that. So I thought that was worthy of a shout out. Right. Um, just just a quick update here. I just turned into the game. UCLA leading Pepperdine 20 to 16 in the first quarterfinal um, going on. Rob. Who is your favorite? We, we broke a little bit down who was the, the, the upsets and, and stuff like that in last week's show. So if you want to go check that out, um, you should. But who is your favorite heading into this tournament? So here's a look at the actual bracket in a radial form. I kind of like this visual. Uh, the winner of Long okay. Beach, I think the long the winner of Long Beach and UCLA is going to be the favorite to win the championship. But I, I'm assuming that Long Beach is going to excuse me that UCLA is going to be Pepperdine because they're better than them and they've swept them six zero this year on the season in conference play. However, uh, Long Beach is gnarly. They lost their conference tournament, still got the number one seed overall. Uh, they have the only freshman first team All American and Alex Nikolov, who's insane. Uh, they that. Long Beach versus UCLA match very well might be the national championship game. And it's on Thursday because obviously Hawaii is going to beat North Greenville tonight. Hawaii then plays Ball State on Thursday, which is going to be really good as well because Hawaii early in the year went to Ball State and lost twice. Now a couple of their starters had COVID. They definitely want revenge. But I think that the Long Beach versus UCLA winner will beat Hawaii no matter who it is. If Hawaii does in fact win, I think they're more a little more talented than Ball State. Ball State is being slept on. They deserve this number two seed. If I had to pick a team right now, um, I actually kind of want to pick UCLA. It's weird to say that because since the retirement okay. of Al, since the retirement of Al Skates, they've really been a non-factor on the national stage. But I think there's something about the upset that they underwent, like losing to Stanford in five in the MPSF semifinals, and now they're playing. They get. The, the best redemption opportunity of all time to still make the tournament and play it at home. Uh, I think they've got a pretty good opportunity there. I think that there's no clear favorite in the NCAA this year because the level in general is a little bit down, like we talked about last week. But that makes it more fun. I think it's a little more wide open, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and pick UCLA. Do we think that North Grenville has a chance against no, Hawaii? Absolutely no. Not. Way. No, not, way. Not, not even a little bit. And that's okay. That that's that's totally okay. Honestly, uh, I think it's it's great for them just to have won that game against Princeton. I mean, it is. Princeton, it's, it's, Princeton it's, came through a, pr- a pretty good uh, Eva, 
and uh, and and made it here. So hey, like you know, they they beat Penn State, who are arguably one of the best teams in the country this year, to, to make it here. And then uh, North Grenville pulls off the opposite uh, upset upset on them. So huge ups. I think it, it, it's also good for the growth of the NCAA. No, that uh, oh, totally. uh, the newest the newest conference, Conference Carolinas, is, is getting in there with a win. So. Maybe maybe we're gonna gonna see lead to more, but uh, yeah, yeah it guess- was it was fantastic for volleyball that North Greenville won that match. I want to be very clear about that. I'm a huge fan of the growth of the Conference Carolinas. However, friendly reminder: there are still levels to this in the NCAA, and Hawaii and North Greenville are separated by a significant number of levels in terms of just general college volleyball. So that match will be a beatdown. But I'm excited as soon as the show's over to turn on uh, UCLA versus Pepperdine because I've already got it on. Atta boy, all right. So, uh, off the block blog is by far your best source of, you know, links, stuff like that, important info for the matches. But uh, quickly, so those those matches are tonight, like we mentioned, uh, one going on right now, the other uh, Hawaii North Greenville later on. They're all at UCLA, so they're all Pacific time. Semis are on Thursday, and the finals are on Saturday night, this Saturday, May seventh. So, do like definitely mark your calendars and tune in to. Thursday and Saturday's matches for sure. They'll be very, very good. And who are you guys? Who are the, who are the prospects to watch here? Like, are you guys? Are you guys? I mean, obviously, Nikolov seems to be the guy who's like on everyone's tongue. Jalen Jasper. Anyone else? Like players to focus on? So, if we're kind of tuning in right now. That's a good question, Dan. American prospects. There are a, a very select few. Uh, I think Merrick McHenry in the middle for UCLA is a prospect worth watching. He might be the best. Man, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. He might be the best American player remaining in this tournament, which is crazy to say because just everybody else on, on these other teams who is good is not American. So Hawaii, you've got Jakob Tella, the setter, um, two Greek kids, uh, Spyro Kakas is the, the one outside, and Mandalares, I think is the other kid's name. And then uh, Guillermo Vos is Brazilian in the middle. He's really good. So they're, they're so- most, mostly foreign-dominated. Um Long Beach's best player is a is a Bulgarian freshman, Alex Nikolov, and UCLA's got got a couple pieces, but they they actually both of their opposites were somewhere in the All American awards, which is crazy. They're kind of pulling a Monza women in that way. So, uh, Merrick McHenry is definitely a name to watch. And then on the Ball State side, uh, Caleb Jenis is a name that not nearly enough people know because he plays for Ball State. Like they've just been under everybody's radar this year, but he plays outside for them. And then Quinn Isaacson, their setter. Those two dudes are well worthy of first team all american honors which they got uh they are both absolute ballers so uh check those guys out as well another guy to look out for on the ucla things uh, side of things i think he's been injured recently but cole ketrzynski uh younger brother of xander ketrzynski plays uh over at over at ucla uh was a big standout for team ontario and and uh the team canada junior team a, a while ago and was one of their best players uh just er- earlier in the year and yeah i'm pretty sure he's, he's been uh, injured yeah, I haven't seen him at all this year. Uh, a couple other American names. Bryce Dvorak, who sets for Pepperdine, might be the best pure setter left in this tournament. I think he's better than Aiden Knipe, and I think he's a better setter than Jakob Tella, although he brings you less. And then uh, Jalen Jasper is a name that a lot of people like. I don't think he's honestly got that much pro potential, but I'm curious to see what he does tonight against UCLA. I mean, that's on live right now. Interesting. Uh, you, don't, you don't think Jasper has any pro potential when like, I think, I, there was a I'm lot of sure. people who made... He'll, 
But like, there's people who are making comparisons between him and Gabby Garcia, and Gabby not Garcia a chance. is in, not is a in chance, Italy. not a chance. Not I think I think he's more like a Jalen ja- not, not Jalen Jasper, like a Jalen Penrose type of career trajectory. Fair like enough, he, like he can Germany. play for yeah, like a Germany or be like the best the best player in Switzerland or like something like that. There's no way he has the ceiling that Gabby Garcia has. Yeah, I I do not think in this tournament anywhere there is a player who will ever see the court for the U.S. senior national team in meaningful competition. I really don't wow. see it. Now, wow. we, we talked a little bit about the UCLA's lack of success um, since the leaving of Al States. Now, of course, the head coach for uh, UCLA is Mr. John Sproul, who's also the head of the U.S. national team. Is that worrisome for you at all? That you know that yeah we saw Spra have all that success at UCI but that was almost a, that was a decade ago now and he hasn't been able to to recreate that success both with UCLA and with the men's national team. Kind of uh, is the short answer. I you would think that uh, because Spra is the active coach of the men's national team that he should in theory be perhaps the best coach in the NCAA. I would not go out on a limb and say that that is true right now. Part of the problem that I've always seen with these UCLA teams the last couple of years, even the one that was really, really good and lost in the national championship game, was that Sparrow can't make up his mind on lineups. He's done a lot of dumb mixing and matching. There was like the 6-2 era with Mike Amaa and Hagen Smith that I didn't like at all. This year, they have two totally different opposites that play interchangeably. I don't like that at all. In the NCAA, I want you, I want your starting seven to play every single match of the year and be battle tested and good and consistent i think that's and and that i think that's the part that will prepare players that are ready for the national team to do that and that is not what i've typically seen out of sparaz ucla tenure so i'm kind of i wouldn't say that he's he's had an all that good of a career at his alma mater so far especially coming off of winning national championships at an inferior program at least from a recruiting standpoint at uci Mm -hmm. i don't know I, i i Spira has been renewed, at least from a national team perspective, uh, through the Paris Olympics. So I'm, I'm not going to f- call for him to be fired any time before that. But I do think that there's a pretty clear separation between coaching styles, the national team and college. Uh, recruiting is a big part of that. Uh, and then just just play style and everything. It, it's clear that Spira approaches it differently. So would I expect him to be more successful? Yes. Does it concern me as a USA fan? Eh, nah, not that not really that much. It seems interesting to me that there's no direct pipeline from UCLA to the national team, right? Like how many how many UCLA players in the past decade have made the national Mitch team? Mitch Stahl like, Garrett, and Garrett Mitch, Marcia, Stahl, Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, like, let's see, let's 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 just say that it seems sometimes that Spra has a has a bit of a boner for both of those players, <laughs> maybe picking them, picking them for rosters that we don't expect, them, you know, having them in situations that that we don't exactly expect. That's preview um, of the of the unfiltered eighteen plus stream right there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Just a little bit, right? But it, it seems interesting that you know, with the recruiting power that that UCLA should have. And the the coach that I mean, we all think that John's bra is that they haven't been able to produce. You know, it, it's it's interesting to me that the all the best in the, the country aren't flocking to UCLA or like lining up out the door to, to to go play there. I would agree. That would that would should be the hottest recruiting spot in all of college volleyball, and for some reason it's not. So uh, we'll see if they can prove me right. And I just picked out on a limb that I think they're going to win the national championship this week. So that would certainly help there. They're recruiting if you are going to a reigning national champion sort of team. We'll see. Uh, again, I think the level of NCAA in general is down this year. Uh, COVID had a lot to do with that, but uh, I'm still obviously going to watch. I 
want nothing more than continued growth for the NCAA men's. It's just a crime when you look at the NCAA men's product next to the NCAA women's product. The disparity is absolutely laughable. And if I presented those to anybody gender blind, uh, people would be rioting in the streets until I told them that the genders were flipped from what you might perhaps think if you were if you weren't a volleyball fan. So Twitter thing's insane. Oh my god, it's 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 unbelievable. The 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 official social media for NCAA men's volleyball hasn't posted since last year, and over and last last year during the season, there was an NCAA volleyball account that covered both men's and women's. And out of nowhere, they basically shadow banned their entire men's content division and changed to being exclusively a women's volleyball social media network without replacing it with a men's one. And then when they finally did, they haven't posted in the last 365 days when the national championships are going on literally right now. It's it's absurd. I, I You're about to get me on a rant on this, and I don't really want to do that because I want to end the show and go watch the matches anyway. But I encourage you guys to uh, watch the NCAA this week. Go to Off the Block blog for all the info you need and links. And I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the Discord as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the only account that posts less than me on my website. Yeah, I mean, hey, well, one thing I, I do want to touch on the NCAA real quick is that it, it seems to me, and Rob, like Dan, I don't know if you, you grew up like kind of watching the NCAA, but for me, like there was times when I was being like, you could find the NCAA men's championship on TSN. Right, like up here in up here in Canada, like it seemed to me that in the like the two thousands and maybe like early in the twenty tens that the NCAA men's volleyball was a much bigger deal, and that it it it's 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 not as big of a deal anymore. Maybe that's just my my perception, but it, it's just kind of the way it feels. No, I think there's something to that. Uh, there's been there's been a lot more like star power of the NCAA from like 2000, 2010 to 2015 than there has been yeah. since with the exception of that one Long Beach team. That that one 100%. Long Beach team with DeFalco, Tuniga, and Ensign was really the only thing close to what we had the earlier part of the decade. Like the the first, like one of the teams that really made me fall in love with volleyball was the Stanford team that won the Natty in 2010. Mm-hmm. So that was Kavika Shoji's senior year when he was national player of the year. Eric Shoji Eric was Shoji. a sophomore. Uh, there's a guy named Brad Lawson who went like 26 for 28 in the championship game. It was the the most the it's most nuts. dominant wing performance I've ever seen in my life. That, that was back when they played the 30 in every set, like the good old days. I think we often forget that that used to be a thing. Uh, then like then you oh had, yeah yeah they I used was, to play the 30. They used to play the 30. volleyball games to 30. Ridiculous. Actually, yeah. It, it, it was it was too much. It was, it was good when they changed back from that. You had Ohio State in 2011 who beat like the the UC Santa UCSB, Barbara team. Yeah went on probably the greatest Cinderella run I've ever seen in college volleyball to, to the national championship game only to lose. Then I think 12 and 13 with both Irvine 14 through 17 were all Miva. You had two yeah. Loyola to Ohio state. Then since it's gone back to the West coast, there've been some very good matches in there, but uh, Hawaii embarrassing BYU last year was not that notable of a championship game year before no. the season got canceled year before was uh, long beach beating Hawaii in five. That match was really good. That was a good so, match. But it, it's, and, and the it's year been, before that was the, the LBSU against Long Beach UCLA. over UCLA. UCLA that, yeah. that match was really good too. So it's been it's been dwindling a little bit. I think COVID had a lot to do with that. Hopefully there's a banger of a final this year. Like to me right now, like just like looking at the game, the stands are like pretty empty at Poly Pavilion. Right. And that's a home game for UCLA at the NCAA championships. And it's a, it's, that's it's, a shame. That, you know, that is just too bad. I hope that they that they 
it's just because it's Tuesday and because it's the the quarterfinal and they can do better on on Thursday and maybe Saturday. But in the the best, like literally the pocket of where men's volleyball is the best and the richest in the U.S., I, I would like and expect that crowd to be a little better. Hundred percent. I I kind of wish the I miss the old uh, not kind. I do a lot. Miss the old net live days with Kevin Barnett and Jeremy Jeremy Roche because I know that Barnett would be laying into Southern California <laughs> volleyball fans uh, uh, right now for uh, their lack of attendance to this match. Well, uh, if you can't attend the match in Southern California, you can watch it online and uh, off the block blog and give you all the links. And so can the Discord. So hack twelve. Uh, dot com slash pack, live slash pack 12 pack dash yeah. 12.com whatever uh we'll put the link in the discord for sure so join that if you haven't already i also just posted the link in the uh in the uh, comments and yeah, that works too uh all right boys uh anything else for this week we got we got polish playoffs kicking finals kicking off tomorrow we got lube perugia tomorrow we got uh women's i think is again on saturday turkish women's is probably friday or saturday there's uh, the 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 number of matches is shrinking, but the the, the significance of them is increasing, and that's fun. So uh, absolutely, um, Dan and I are going to be doing a show, uh, the Five One Volleyball Podcast on Thursday. So uh, keep an eye out for that one, and uh, yeah, make sure you guys go sign up for Bet US. Use code code Volley One Two Five when you uh, sign up for. Uh, there you go, nice one, Rob. Um, for a 125% deposit bonus. So, yeah, make sure you uh, check out America's favorite sports book. All right, Dan, wrap us up. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the 9 by 9 It's been a treat with you, Everett, and you, Rob, and I look forward to joining you on next week's episode. Thanks, guys. Peace. Peace.